World of Work podcast with James and Jane. Hi everyone, just before we get cracking into this week's episode, I wanted to jump on and mention our new support page. So as some of you may know, we're on a bit of a mission to increase accessibility to good quality management and career training. Um, and if you'd like to support us in this, you can go to www.worldofwork.io forward slash support to learn more. Hi everyone, this is James. And this is Jane. And welcome back to another The World of Work podcast, The WOW podcast. And um, we're coming up to episode three, pretty exciting. You can check us out on our website, www.thewowpodcast.org. Um, if you want to get in touch, send us an email, jj at thewowpodcast.org, or you can tweet at The WOW podcast. Um, how are you getting on, Jen? I'm good. How are you this week? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Life is pretty good. It's... Uh, yeah, I'm busy working on a bunch of different projects, but generally having a good time. Of course, doing a bit of research for this. Yeah, I think, um, well, it's interesting this week's topic, isn't it? Because uh, both of us have this option. Yes. In fact, we are currently sitting in my living room. Yes. Um, only one room away from the puppy that I can have because of uh, da, da, da. the way that uh, I design my life. Yeah. Uh, so uh, why don't you introduce this week's topic? Yeah, okay. So this week we are going to be speaking about flexible or agile working i guess it depends where you are um in the uk the phrase agile working is fairly common in other places people maybe speak about flexible working flexible working arrangement stuff like that so that's the topic for today um as ever we're gonna have a bit of a definition discussion and we'll do a bit of a research roundup um we'll bring out another list of a week um we'll tell you some stories from the the coalface or keyboard um share a few final thoughts top tips in relation to the subject and then check out and uh, let you guys get on with your lives okay but before we move on to that lives stuff it's probably a really good uh starting point for flexible working given the confusions around definitions and and terminology and all of that because let's face it it means a million different things to a million different people definitions are probably the best place to start yeah definitely there's Um, a lot of confusion out there so one of the things that we want to talk about is the difference between uh, agile working as we mean it in this sense. Um, and unbelievably, I was surprised to see our friend, the NHS. The NHS is up there again. Back in our definitions. Uh, uh, they got work. a lot of people, right? And they're, they're pretty they have, good they at have, definitions. They are what? They're the biggest employer in the world? Is that right? Second biggest or, employer in the yeah, world? Yeah, one of the biggest One of the, one of the biggest. Yeah. I, think, I think China have... They've got big armies or whatever in Walmart's right up there. But certainly, certainly they're one of the biggest employers. So it's it's always a good idea to look at them. And I think um, we need to talk about flexible working, agile working, and what we mean it, uh, what we mean by that. So there's a few different um, definitions. I'm I'm going to give this one. I'm not sure how I feel about it, but um, it's from it's from the FT.com, probably the bastion of non-flexible working (laughs) environments. Not not the not the the Financial Times, but the kind of industry that they work within, given stock markets, etc. Yeah. Um, flexible working gives employees flexibility on how long, where, and when they work. Employees uh, access flexible working through human resource policies, which usually requires supervisory approval. Um, That's it, boring, isn't it? Sorry, what was that? I, I barely even took it in. It was also boring. I don't really understand the last <laughs> part of that. It's but like I, I do think the it. important part of it is that when we talk about flexible working in the UK, we quite often are talking about employee-centred policies. Yeah. So policies that have been created in order to give employees more flexibility in the way they work, and that's an important distinction coming up in a minute. 
Um, so uh, one of the other uh, definitions that we sourced was from study.com. Um, a flexible working relationship, and this is not a definition as so much as an essay, but uh, a flexible working relationship is one that doesn't have the normal constraints of traditional job. Lord knows what normal is anymore. Um, but for example, so helpfully they've given us one, employees who offer flexible working relationships may allow employees to come into work earlier than normal and leave them later than normal, or an employee may long uh, work longer days uh, with less new number of days, so condensed hours, um, they may be allowed to work from home rather than from an office. Um, they may be able to take a leave of absence to share certain, uh, or share certain aspects of work or pay with other employees. And I think I think the important thing to note there is flexible working suggests that there is a norm, and yeah. that people are offered the opportunity to move away from that. Sure. Whereas our friends at the NHS talk much more about agile working, um, which is much more business or organisation centred. So agile working is a way of working in which an organization empowers its people, its workforce, to work where, when, and how they choose with maximum flexibility and minimum constraints to optimize their performance and deliver best-in-class value and customer service. It uses communications and IT, uh, information technology to enable people to work in ways which best suit their needs without the traditional limitation of where and when tasks must be performed. It said pretty early on, though, there's a piece around benefit for the organisation, isn't it? I can't remember exactly what you said. Right but... at the beginning. So right up the way, it's a way of working which an organisation empowers. So it's the organisation yep. acting. And uh, they talk about uh, optimised performance and deliver best yeah. in um, class. <clears throat> yeah. So it's sort of delivery-based to some extent, outcome-driven for an organisation as well as employee uh, benefit. And extent. almost that is the central point. Yeah. The flexibility is a nice thing to have, but the point is that it's about creating an organization that delivers best so that they're probably it's the clearest example where they are relating directly the opportunity to flexibly work as a direct benefit to the organization yeah. rather than the employee and yeah. i think that's a shift that we've seen recently um and uh i think it's also my cynical hat mm -hmm. where they talk about best in class value and customer service yeah my cynical hat says it also can be effective uh very attractive to organizations because they see it as a cost-effective solution yeah and i totally, think we, we can't totally. move away from that yeah. we do have to have that aware um i think the piece that you found from the agile future forum i think is really important because i think it helps us start to define 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 uh excuse me <laughs> start to define um what agile working practices can look like and they talk about four dimensions they talk about time location role and source yeah so time, when do people work? Uh, and that might be about the hours they work, so part-time working, stage retirement. It might be about uh, the condensed hours, or it might be about physically timing. So do they work on a t in the evenings of freedom? Do they have the freedom to work when they choose? Uh, location, where do they work? So they're working across multiple sites. They're working in one site. Do they have hubs that they work? Do they work from home? Do they are they allowed to pick their own office space? Because to me, one of the things I would say about agile working is truly agile working gives people the opportunity to work where they work best. And that might be an office down the road from them that doesn't connect to the organization, but still gives them a community. Yeah. That, interestingly, doesn't seem to be an option in so many places because of the cost impact. Yeah. Um, so time, location, role. So what they do, um, which I think you're going to come on to a little bit more, but I think is really important. And also source. So who is employed? So are they using contractors or temps? Again, there's an interesting cost implication there. But I think they're the people that you have to look at and say, 
they have the clearest understanding of all the different types of working arrangement that come together to form agile working. So they're my favourite, James. Thanks cool. for finding that one. So, uh, so I don't know if that leads us on to a place where you might want to share a little bit more about what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, I can do. I can do. Um, <clears throat> just before I do that, though, I was going to maybe say one thing that we're absolutely not talking about, which is agile project management. If anyone's Brilliant. dialed in, or dialed in, that's my work speak here. <laughs> anyway, wow. <laughs> Anyone dialed into this conference call? Um, if anyone is listening in the hope of learning about agile project management, you're in the wrong place, I'm afraid. And that's um, mostly because neither of us know enough about it yeah. to do a full podcast, but also because maybe we'll talk about project management tools later. But right now we're very much focused on what, what impacts someone's working environment. Yeah. So as we've seen, though, this is all about how people work. What's the relationship between employee and organization around the ways that um, employers work and and use their energies to create out, output. That's really what we're getting at with um, our flexible agile working here. So uh, as ever, I'm going to do a bit of a research roundup for you and tell you a little bit about what I've learned about. I feel like we should have a music for research. I okay. feel like it should be Are like research roundup. <laughs> we could do the did it did it diddly did bomb and then I. Can... I think Countdown might have <laughs> might have that trademark. <laughs> might have something to say. Um, Okay, so research roundup then. So I've got a couple bits that I'm going to run through you uh, through for you guys this time. A little bit of a, a flying tour of a history, um, then a little bit of a discussion around what some of the core components are around flexible or agile working, and then a little bit of a reflection on some of the benefits and risks for employers and employees in relation to um, agile or flexible working. So. First off, a little canter through history. So when we're talking about agile working, we're talking about things like <clears throat> working from home or working remotely or dialing in or working in different times and, and stuff like that. And it's worth pointing out that, you know, for most of history, people have actually really been self-directed in, in relation to their work. So a lot of people historically used to work from home. Uh, in fact, a lot, of, um, a lot of work took place in the home. Right. And, and the distinction between work and sort of life as we think about it now is really a fairly recent concept. And, and for the majority of history, it didn't even exist at all. If you think about agrarian cultures, you kind of live, you go out, you sort out stuff in your field, you come home and so on. And even when you get into medieval times, um, most work was fairly individual based. And quite often people were working in work premises that were effectively a bolt on to their house. Right. So like back then, bakers would work in their house. Um, you know, blacksmiths would have a forge next to their house. Weavers who are important in a lot of history um, would do weaving in their home. You know, so, so work and home was really intertwined. You you'd do your production in your house. You'd take a break when you want. You'd be self-directed. You'd work as and when you could using the technology you had around the other constraints of your life. And it was all really interwoven. Uh, if you go back quite a long way, some of the bigger organizations, things like the military, courts, church, governments and things like that, people who kept a lot of records um, had larger organizations. And, and during the Renaissance, they started to grow and get bigger, um, particularly within Europe. We're ignoring earlier empires, you know, China, Rome, places like that, where there were uh, historic record keeping and bureaucratic organizations. So bureaucracy, which is really sort of office control or something like that was coined in France in, in the mid 1700s and it sort of reflected the growth in office culture there and that's one of the times in our timeline when people started really coming together in workplaces to work 
And then along comes the um, Industrial Revolution, moving on from the sort of medieval times. And that was a huge change. That was one of the, the biggest pivotal things that happened here. And what happened with the Industrial Revolution is it really disrupted the, the historic association of work and home. So people were pulled into, off, uh, sorry, pulled into factories to work. The means of production were changed. Um, centralized capital supported the acquisition of, of larger means of production by uh, owners of industries, and, and they brought the workers in. And what happened then is, is people started really separating work and home. So you're at home, but you just do your home stuff there, and then you go into work, and when you're in work, you use work's technology, you use work's time, you work in a structured way, in their way of doing things. So really the Industrial Revolution is what started to, to drive a big catalyst towards work in the way that we know it now. In 1833, I kind of like this, the UK Factory Act was passed, just to give a perspective on work-life balance and where we are now. And the UK Factory Act, what it did was it banned children under nine from working in the textile uh, industry, which is good. For children who are 10 to 13, it limited them to working only 48 hours a week. And for children who were between 14 and 18, it limited them to 69 hours a week and no more than 12 hours a day from their employment. So I just chucked right in there because I thought that was kind of interesting. Wow, how far we have come. Yeah, it's a, it's a big change, isn't it? Um, so, you know, industrialization brought people into working environments in, in this new way, which is the way we sort of think of them now. If, if you move on to the early 20th century, early 20th century, you'll see that there were big rises in larger organizations and with the larger organizations came... Uh, you know, greater needs to administer them. And combined with rises in early 20th century technology, so things like electricity, telephones, telegraphs, and modern transport that made commu- uh, commuting easier, you started to see a real growth in offices. And that transition from factories to the offices further embedded our understanding of the integration of um, work into somebody else's premises with their means of production and stuff like that. Then along comes World War II, and, and that redefines the role of women, and, and suddenly women own and deliver serious roles and, and have a meaningful um, working um, set of skills and capabilities and desires within the Western world. And after the, after the war, they, they retained jobs and stayed in the labor market um, and increasingly worked in more office-based roles. So all of this sort of arc of history that we're talking about here has led to the growth of work as we know it, that sort of work culture, mixed labor force, working in an office, working under um, direction and structure and with somebody else's technology to achieve a goal. Then along comes the 1970s, and it's in the 70s that we start to see the first sort of reflections on moving towards what we consider a more agile approach. So they were finding free love, why not find free work too? Is that, Some, is that the... Just about, I think. I think what they were really finding was gridlock on the way to work. Right. And rising oil prices and regulations over environmental control. Oh, you practical. <laughs> it's boring, isn't it? It's boring but true, sadly. So the oil shock of 1973, blah, 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 blah. Um, anyway, so all these things were happening and people started to think that actually commuting might be a bit of a waste of time. It might damage the environment. It might be costly. So why don't we start to experiment with telecommuting? And people started looking at this in, in the 70s. Um, going into the 80s, a lot more people started to try it, organizations onboarded it a bit, but it, it didn't really take off and there were some counter arguments to um, telecommuting, which is a bit of a precursor to our remote working. Um, and then in the 90s, a big step occurred and the US government and federal agencies introduced telecommuting 
and started to promote it. And that's really when sort of our interpretation of agile working started to take off, moving into the noughties and a lot more people start to get involved. Smaller organizations support more agile working and technology comes along that makes it easier. So, you know, the internet gets up and running, people can dial into shared files, people have uh, cheap data connections, people have cheaper telephony, all that stuff makes a big difference. And then the last shift in this journey is what's happened in, I guess, the 2010s and up to now, which we alluded to earlier, which is a real shift towards um, agility and flexible working as a strategic driver for an organization, right? So a lot of the earlier stuff was around what's the benefit for the employee, it's a bit of a perk. And then once you get into the 2010s, particularly post-financial crisis, people are looking at, at you know, competition, at cost control, and they start to see that agile working practices could be a differentiator and a strategic driver for their organizations. So that's kind of my whistle-stop history of agile working. It just makes you realize, I think, um, that's not fair. It makes me realize uh, how often um, some of our modern practices have their roots in they were trying to solve one problem, noticed how well it worked for something, and then started thinking about how it could solve some other problems. Yeah. So they, you know, there's an issue around. There's certainly an issue around sort of the 1970s and some of the challenges to the economy and what was happening, and, and that would mirror Britain certainly. Um, and then suddenly they go, "Hang on a minute. There's opportunity here. There's cost savings. People could be happier. They, yep. could, you know, we could be seen as the good guys. Yeah. There's there's things to be won. Yeah, and it makes that flip over into strategic, and and you know, there's there's some really good benefits there. It's still good for individuals, but there's a bit of a cynical hat sometimes as well around. Sometimes, James. Well, you know. So I, I should probably share with um, share with our listeners that I am highly cynical about flexible working in the way that we see it yeah. currently. I have huge concerns about the way it's deployed uh, as a supposed uh, employee-centred approach. But in actual fact, I think the benefits far, far outweigh for the organisation. And I think, um, I think a lot of what the challenges that we see at the moment in the workforce are coming potentially from people being able to being unable to to distinguish between work and home. Yeah, and I've got similar cynicism. I'm maybe not as far along that spectrum as you, but I've got some concerns about this as well. Um, so next little bit from me, I guess, is around um, components of flexible agile working. Actually, you touched on these earlier. I don't know if you want to jump in and say. Yeah, a no, I probably saw a bit of your thunder. It just got me thinking about. I thought I think that that um, definition is just so helpful and it's not it's not even a definition it's a very clear set of um uh it it effectively leads you to where you can make policy so i think particularly for those of you that are listening because you have an ability to impact policy within your organization or you might even have been asked to draw up a flexible working policy um yourself um i think that their definition and their their way of thinking about it and their core components are really helpful. So they yeah, talk and about this is when, the agile future forum. Yeah? This is the agile future forum that you got you found and I think really helps. And so they've got the when, the where, the what we do, and the who does it. And I think that's a really straightforward um, way of thinking about it. It's when people work, and that's everything from job sharing and, and, and flexi time through to compressed hours and just stage retirement. Those of you who don't know what stage retirement is, effectively where you plan to reduce your hours over a period of time. Yeah, four days a week, three days a week, whatever works. You sort of ease yourself out of the workforce. Uh, Last week we talked about how many years... um, uh, I did a piece of um, research last week in a group uh, and it was talking about how many years before retirement you disengage. And the average is three. 
Okay. So, yeah. so I thought that was really interesting. So basically, you're, 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 and the theory is it's not about age at all. Yeah. It's three it's years proximity. before your yeah. retirement. Yeah, 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 yeah. So clearly, get the most out of you before then. Um. So the, the there's the when there's the where. So fixed desk, host desking, shared space, multi-site, home-based, mix, and then obviously what I mentioned, which is that idea that actually you should be allowed to find a space that works for yeah. you. Um, on that, just something I was going to say, you said um, it's not that common that you can do it, but in, in financial services, the organization that I worked at was a mixed you know, mixed group, but it had, amongst other things, a retail branch network. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that people that, who were um, sort of uh, you know, corporate or, or head office could do is they could choose to work in any branch. So you could go into your office, or when we brought in Agile Working, you could say, okay, well, there's a local branch that's just down the road from me. Why don't I go work in the office of that local branch? I can still get a bit of a community sense. I don't need to be in my How home. many people did that? A mix. I knew a fair number of people in my teams who've done that at different points. See, I would think that would be hugely valuable. I think for all of the accusations that head offices always get around being distanced, not understanding the issues of a regional network, I just think that would be brilliant. It's good, yeah. Um, I'd like to see more of that. Good. Uh, so there's the where... Um, there's, and I think important to note about the where is we should mention probably the whole concept of fully remote working, so international. Yeah. Um, there is a real trend at the moment to say, oh, you can go and live in Bali. I think aside from the massive issues that that creates around time zones, yeah. where you suddenly find yourself having to get up at three in the morning to have conversations, generally that's also would fit within the, the where people work. Um, and then there's the slightly more complex what people do. So this concept of allowing people to self-select their tasks, to apply for condiments in different areas, to rotate the roles they do through the team. Um, and and you've mentioned something called flexi teams, which I suspect is similar to what I would think about as project working. Yeah. So where um, effectively I've worked in an organisation where there's a little core team of people who effectively uh, analyse what the, what the role is for the organisation or the, the client, because it's a consultancy. Yeah. And then they, they literally pick teams yeah, and they, all, they and know people's people skills and, yeah, and they drag yeah, and drop get and a blended yeah. plan them and what it means the great thing about that is that it means that really practical stuff like uh, if you generally are quite happy to work internationally but you've got a baby coming um, in your family and you're thinking about how to plan that you might want to stay more local so they can plan all of those kind of things into the workload it does however also mean that those people have a huge amount of power which is mm. an extraordinarily yeah, yeah, yeah. unusual situation where effectively a team of administrators hold all the power um, over a wider organisation and creates huge amounts of tension sometimes. Anyway, so there's what they do, and then finally this area of what work, uh, who works um, in terms of, I guess, contractual arrangement is, is yeah, quite often the way yeah. it's Where do you about. source your resources? Yeah, so are you sourcing people on a job-by-job basis? Are you sourcing yeah. freelancers, fixed-term contractors? Um, are you working with permanent employees? Is everybody temporary? Yeah. Um, or do you have no employees at all? And yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah. it's really important. That model is coming out more and more. People who own their own small business and effectively they contract organisations in. Yeah. And they outsource everything. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and interesting, the public sector is moving very heavily towards um, a place where they only employ commissioning yeah. experts, which is a probably a political conversation we should have after the podcast. Um, but I really liked it anyway. So thank you for finding the Agile Working Forum because that's really helped me get to grips with this subject and and what does and doesn't sit within this this remit. Cool. So let's chat about maybe what some of the benefits and risks mm. are around this. I mean, you, I you, think that would be a good idea. You touched earlier on the fact that you're a bit cynical about it. I'm a bit cynical, but I've seen some benefits of it as well. Um, I guess when we think about benefits and risks, we need to think about benefits and risks from 
the employee perspective. So if you're thinking about, you know, entering a sort of flexible working arrangement, what do you get out of it? And what are some of the, the downsides that you could face? Um, but likewise, from an organizational perspective, you know, what are the potential benefits you get as an organization and what are some of the risks that you face? And I think, you know, in 10 or 15 years, we'll probably have a better view on, on all of these as it becomes more prevalent. But for the time and I think being, we'll be doing, I should also oh, yeah. say, I think we'll be doing it better. Yeah. I think we have to acknowledge that one of the reasons that I'm cynical and certainly possibly you is that we are very early doors in this journey and yeah. we're not necessarily getting it right at the moment. And I, that doesn't mean my cynicism is about the right now, not about the potential. Yeah. Okay. So I guess we start from, let's start from an employer perspective and, and think about what some of the benefits are, right? So it's got to be, it's got to be, you know, put out that early on that one of the, the drivers for this is cost. You know, people reduce cost in, in, you reduce cost in different ways. So one of the big cost savings that you can get through this is around, um, I guess, your, your footprint and your desk space. So if you have people who only work in the office 60% of the time, and if you stagger that, you only need 60% of a desk space or 60% of a footprint, and that can be a big savings. Certainly in, in the industry that I've been in, premium desk space sets, sets you back tens and tens of thousands of um, every year. Um, so if you can free up a few of those, you can make a real difference to your bottom line or your cost income ratio or whatever metrics you look at. So saving cost from the office perspective is there. Uh, another thing is around saving cost from a labor perspective. So if you're in an organization that typically pays, um, you know, maybe overtime or out of hours um, supplements and things like that, if you can can restructure your the way that your employees work so that you minimize that without taking on further costs so if people work flexibly across times and you maybe cover um, peak period through flexibility as opposed to excess hours compensation and you can save money there as well and, and that would relate very heavily to the rise of the gig economy oh, totally, uh, you know totally, we're totally. seeing the um, the ubers and the yeah. uh, deliveries in the UK of companies that are just sourcing labor purely for the hours they need them yeah care industry other other areas yeah, like that. that's interesting um from the employer's perspective another benefit is that if you're flexible in terms of things like the what people do piece that you spoke about then you can move people into different areas of the organization so if suddenly a new project's essential and your workforce are agile in terms of what they do you can repoint greater numbers of resources to tackle those problems and sort of flow your resource and your capability in that new direction um, which makes you more responsive and able to deal with new and rising things. And it also makes you more likely to invest in your workforce. Yeah. Because if your workforce are more able to move between projects, you're much more likely yeah, to be yeah. able to keep them yeah. because there's different jobs available. Yeah, particularly, and then investing in their soft skills becomes a much more valuable thing yeah. for you. Particularly in an evolving labour market where new skills are always important. If, you're, if your employees have a proven ability to do that, then yeah. you're more likely to... And to where it's virtually impossible for people to stay on top of what... Things are coming so fast yeah. that you might as well try and work with the people you've got on that. Yeah. Um, other benefits are you can attract and retain people. Right, so as part of your employee proposition is the type of language that we'd use. But, it, but if, if you promote yourself as a flexible or agile employer, then you can attract different people. So you used a different word, and I know we're not talking oh, yeah. about this yet, but you used a different word earlier when we were talking about this. I did. I used, uh, for retain, I think I might have said something like trap. I think you said trap. Uh, it was a bit more I cynical. think you might, might have said you trap people. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, you see that. You see people who are maybe working three days a week in a job that they quite like, but would be very willing to move from, but without 
other employment opportunities. It's you know if you've got a good employer who pay, pays you well to work three days a week, you're going to find it very hard to get a substitute for that. So yeah. so it does retain you. Um, it can promote your diversity and inclusion as an employer, so you can keep and attract people from different groups, people with different commitments. You can, you know, perhaps um, access uh, across gender more easily, particularly working parents. You can start to bring in people from a different disability strands if maybe they've got physical needs where they struggle to work in a conventional office place, things like that. Um, and, you know, one of the last key benefits I'd raise is around productivity and engagement. Um, you know, if you provide agility to people in some, maybe even many instances, their productivity can go up and, and so can their engagement. How okay, so ever. you've talked about the benefits and I want to play the game where I get to talk about the risks. Okay, your um, turn. Because you. you've made a really good case and actually yep. you made me think about a couple of things that I hadn't. So I really like the, com- the conversation around disability. Yeah. Um, particularly where we know that in some cases it's physically not possible to adapt for certain buildings yeah. to certain needs. Yeah. Um, because they're too old and, and yes, in an ideal world you'd move whole organisations. But wouldn't it be great if there were other solutions? Yeah. Um, and I also, particularly where um, having worked with disabled people, there are certain. Uh, I know a number that they physically can't leave their homes for certain, yeah, certain yeah, periods yeah. where they're doing certain things. So wouldn't yeah, it be brilliant to yeah. be able to involve? And things them come and go, and yeah. yeah. So I hadn't thought about that. So thank you. It's an excellent, excellent point. Um, however, I do want to make um, employers aware of the risks that are involved in this. I think you've highlighted some here from from your research and I think there's some others that I would add in one is around loss of control um make no bones about it if you have a disengaged person who is working remotely it is going to be incredibly difficult to manage their workload and productivity never mind re-engage them which is a whole nother challenge you're not even going to get out of them what you're what you're paying for effectively so that's a huge issue um I think uh change is much harder um i'll give you a very practical example very quickly so uh i've worked with a team that is a remote working administrative team that cover regions and they happen to live roughly in their regions what it means is because they're not in one office together uh they're not able to quickly notice the trends of the challenges in their process and change them and it's also very hard to then implement those changes because they're in four different places with four different qualities of internet four different qualities of content and they have managed things differently so that, and yes, there are processes that we put in place, but it's so much harder when uh, they're far apart and they're not able to um, work together as a team and actually sit in front of the same screen. Yes, there are technological solutions, but they're not always that great. Um, the other couple of challenges that I would just raise for employers is your uh, your additional risk around um, that responsibility for the mental and physical well-being of your staff okay. and how much harder it is to monitor that yeah that's hard um i think it's hugely difficult to monitor i think particularly if people are working in jobs that they don't have communication every day for example we work quite heavily um in the uh, non-profit sector with people who write resources and write support materials sure. they might be off for you know they might not have a reason to talk to you a week and that touch base is really important to work think about how you might have to spend more money on your management because actually they're going to have to touch base more often than yep. they might do in an office. And I think that's really important financial risk uh, as well as a health risk, uh, occupational health risk. And the other the other risk that I would raise with organisations is your inability to track your culture effectively. Okay. It is So one of the things that I've seen in big remote working organisations is people self-organising into local pods. Mm-hmm. And then those communication uh, 
methods falling outside of traditional yeah. the organizational methods and then what happens is if things start to go stale in that team or they start to get frustrations but there isn't a way for them to communicate those frustrations forward or they don't feel confident for whatever reasons you have no idea that's happening yeah, yeah. and that's a huge issue it can be a huge issue it's, it's it's unlikely but when it happens it's messy so for me i've just it should come with a massive health warning that yeah. that, that done badly it is truly toxic yeah it can it uh, and can be toxic dreadful. not just for the people but for the organization yeah. too Cool. Well, that's a good set of counter arguments there. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Should Jenny, we do... Jenny, uh, Jenny Doomsday today. Yeah. Okay. So, what about how it works for people? Well, I'm going to make the case for the benefits for employees, uh, and then well, you can shoot me as down. As you should, because we both take advantage yeah, of these yeah, yeah, things, we do, right? We do. So, um, I've worked remotely and in a whole range of agile ways for for multiple years, um, to different degrees, um, and I've also had. Uh, teams where I've had a mixture of people who work in different agile ways, some you know permanent home workers uh, all the way through the the scale of um, you know flexible and and different hours and so on. So from my perspective, there really are some some good benefits out there um, for for the employees. So from a personal perspective, I, I've found that I I don't actually like to work remotely all the time, but I like the opportunity to do it and to have some variety in there. For me, I find that. Agile working gives me a little bit more control. It lets me balance my life a little bit more. I can do a little bit of my own life in the middle. I like to go running. I can run over lunch. That actually makes me feel fresher in the afternoon. I can sleep a bit longer. I've got a bit less travel. I get more um, time to dedicate to work. I feel fresher. Um, And because I've done the odd bit of personal work interspersed with my my core deliverables, by the time I get focused home time or focused time for myself at the weekends, I'm actually in a better place to enjoy it and recover. So so that's good for me. Um, I also find that I get more autonomy when I'm allowed to be a bit more self-directed in terms of my tasks from the, you know, what people do perspective. I I think that's really good for me. and in terms of the, the where people work, I've, I've you know I mentioned uh, you know people working in branches and things like that. I've I've worked in different sites in different locations multiple times, and that's a benefit for me as well because when I've had the sort of discretion to choose where I work, it makes it easier for me to work with different teams at different times and and sort of broaden my network and build my relationships, which I think helps the organisation as well as helping me. So you know some of the key drivers for me really come back to that balance of work and life you know work-life balance is aided by this um and i found it useful so i guess for me that's kind of a case for employee benefits as a result of um agility okay and i should i should uh before i go on to make the case against or at least the cautionary tales let's call them um i should add that i still choose to work incredibly flexibly in a number of ways that i work so it would be unfair of me not to admit that before i now go on to trying to warn everyone off it. Yeah. Um, I think, and, and for me, there's some really obvious things. It can be incredibly lonely. Um, I think uh, quite often, I think particularly middle and senior management who tend to be involved in a lot of meetings, either virtually or in real time, don't notice that quite, um, how how different it might be for people who are in repetitive or, or more, more basic yeah, tasks. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think if you spend all your day in teleconferences anyway, it almost doesn't matter where you are because, you know, you, you get, you get benefit from seeing people, but you're kind of doing the same thing at home. As you yeah, are, although you? although I have some some friends in organisational psychology who would argue that physical face to face interaction of some form doesn't have to be with your workplace. It does matter during the day. 
Um, if nothing else, just eyes get really tired. Um, and, and you know what? I, there absolutely are technological and process-driven solutions to that. Um, but I do think it also creates scope creep. I think that's absolutely true. I think the more flexible you are about what you do, the more likely you are to end up doing more than you're meant to. Um, I think you get... So you've mentioned, you've put down here, it's interesting, penalised for being out of sight. And the way I see that most clearly manifested is missing out on opportunities, missing out on the ability to hear office chat and yeah. be able to put yourself forward. And particularly, it, it, I think it probably happens less so in big corporate, well-organised, high, huge HR department supported organisations. But where there's only 80 of you in an organisation, mm. if you're in the office regularly and hear there's pro about projects, you can put yourself forward for those projects. If you're not there, you can't hear about them. Yeah. I um, guess for me, part of what I was getting at there was kind of out of sight, out of mind, you know, so you miss out on opportunities, but also people kind of forget about your contributions. Yep. And maybe when you're getting to performance rating or performance management time, you're you're not as high up people's agenda as you would be if you were physically in the office. I think I think also the, you, if you are easy to manage, it's very easy for you to just be seen as a placeholder. Yeah. And it becomes a very attractive thing to leave you there. I think um, it lends itself to uh, an erosion of. Uh, security when you think about particularly the gig economy which we mentioned earlier Absolutely. a hugely worrying thing that you know as I get older I recognise that my frolicking 20s where I really didn't care about job security because I was so confident of mm. how valuable I was and also I knew that you know for the for what I was doing at the cost it was I was way over delivering I think as I get older and I recognise that I will have other interruptions in my life I will have parents who will need care potentially mm -hmm. I will have other responsibilities to my family I will have wider financial you know commitments and you move towards retirement you start to worry about that stuff and yeah. i think if you are working in a contract that is wholly suited to the organization versus the person it, it adds a depth of of risk and i think that that destabilizes you and it's a it's a worry if you're not managing that effectively yeah. and if it's not your choice so so i actually see some of my concerns about this as even broader okay so some of my concerns are more societal and what it kind of feels like it is going on here is that, you know, the, the cost of production is being increasingly moved to employees. So you provide your own computer, you use your own footprint, you do all that kind of stuff, and you're kind of alone, almost as if you're um, sort of semi-entrepreneurial. Um, at the same time, a lot of the benefits of production continue to adhere to the organizations that you work for. And that sort of societal shift, I find potentially risky potentially destabilizing so that's but it's the cycle as old as time right it so is, it i is. mean if I, I always think about youtube youtube always makes me laugh uh it doesn't make me laugh at all but the concept that uh for a very brief period people who are producing their own music were able to market it themselves find themselves and it became a thing and then what happened all the major music labels suddenly hired people to yeah. be youtube scouts they took over all the accounts they started using it themselves if it was one thing I am confident, it is that sooner or later, big pinsness will try and bring everything back together yeah. and own it all. Because ultimately, what they're ironically doing is outsourcing the means of production, right? Yeah. And yeah, if yeah. you go back to it, at some point, someone's going to work out that they don't need a corporation to do that and they can take control of their own. You can disaggregate it in your own exactly. way. Exactly. And then, and then that will be really threatening yeah. to major organisations. Um, but I, you know, I want to, I want to mention just. Um, one other risk to employees that maybe doesn't get talked about as, as much and I think it's around um, around be understanding how much effort it takes to self-regulate your day um, and to self-regulate your work yeah um, so I, I love 
I, I, you know, I think Obama's a fabulous speaker, but I also think he made a really good point that's been made by Steve Jobs and by made by low people that you get, um, you get decision making tiredness, uh, right? Absolutely, decision and, fatigue, and it's... it's a huge thing. And all of the really smart people who have the resources basically spend a lot of money taking that problem away. Totally, and they Reduce get other people to do it. They yep. they buy expensive single item clothes so they can do it again and yeah, again. Yeah. All of that stuff. When you choose to take on flexible working, yes, it frees you up, but it also uh, requires, I would say it takes an extra 15% of my day yeah. to have the process in place to manage my time, to manage my choices, to not, so yes, yeah. doing the laundry, James, that is a great thing to do. But then ending up accidentally cleaning the kitchen and taking the dog for a walk, not so much. Yeah. Um, and for me, who is, is very much of the moment and likes to sort of get I, very easily distracted, huge procrastinator, it's exhausting. Yeah. And it depletes you, and it makes you, uh, it makes you almost yearn for someone else imposing structure, right? You yeah, want imposing. A you want lack of choice. I want to know obviously. where I'm meant to be. I want yeah. someone to tell me. I just want to be told what to do, do what? and how to do it. I don't want it every day. Yeah, but, but once in a while it'd be yeah, really yeah, nice yeah, when you're emotionally tired. Which is, by the way, why we quite regularly record these podcasts on a Friday afternoon because James just told me to do that, and it was so much <laughs> easier to say yes and even. I like it else. on Friday afternoons, right? Little treat at the end of the week. With a little treat at the end of the week. <laughs> please can we have please can we have that task? <laughs> that can be our okay. Country. Anyway, so that's me just making the case for and it's not making the case against it. It's it's a cautionary tale. Yeah. Of don't it's not it like anything in the world of work, there is no one answer. It's not gonna be the perfect solution. We need to work with it, we need to do it well. Which I think goes on uh, segues really nicely into your list of the week. Yeah, so so we've done our research roundup. We've talked about history. We've talked about some core components, modern, flexible, or agile working. We've talked about some of the benefits and risks for individuals and leaders. And what we're going to do with a list of a week this time is uh, quickly run through five points for you that are all around, you know, what you need to think about um, if you're looking at maybe introducing flexible or agile working in your organization. So they're just five points. Um, I guess we'll just run through them quickly, share a few little thoughts on them. And then pop on to a few hints and tips. So uh, five points. Number one, would flexible or agile working work for your organization, right? You've got to consider that before you take it on. It sounds kind of obvious, right? It's like um, it's like a truism or, or, you know, whatever that word is that I'm looking for. But it's important to think about, you know, if you're going to do this, does it work strategically for you? Does it align with your customer base? Can you still meet your core strategic objectives? objectives if you have people who work in a flexible or agile way and there's a really practical way to think about it if you write down your teams or your people uh on a spreadsheet in groups and if you know the majority of them are doing jobs that are linked to a place whether it's a factory a laboratory a a hospital um or where the majority of your people are linked to very specific technical tasks it's going to be harder for you i'm not saying it's not doable the nhs have done it but it's going to be much hard, harder. If you run a customer services system that's a shift-based system and you're only open nine till five, it's going to be harder for you yeah, to offer yeah, flexibility yeah. of hours. So um, just it, that's a really obvious one. It's not the right thing for every organisation. And indeed, there are some organisations in some countries that do the complete opposite. They will say, no, everyone works the same hours and they only do these hours and nothing yeah. else is flexible. Um, and in, in time, you know, I think it's really important that there is different organizations doing different things but yes that first question is crucial james does it work for your organization yeah can you see is it is it theoretically possible yeah so then number two 
do you have a technology to make it work, right? I mean, if you're doing this, you're letting people work in different places and different times and maybe choosing their work. So you've got to ask yourself, can they communicate effectively? Do you have a telephony to let you do that? Do you have maybe virtual meeting systems that'll let you do that? You know, WebEx or other video conferencing type things. Do you have virtual collaboration tools, maybe messaging platforms, things like Slack? Have you got document sharing platforms? Can you all access the same information? Um, do you have reliability over the systems that you have? Do you have security over the systems that you have? Can you comply with regulation about data control in relation to the systems that you have? Um, and do your teams have the skills to do that, right? If you're considering doing this, you've got to ask yourself all those questions because if you can't answer yes to a lot of those, then you'll have downtime, you'll have wasted time, you'll have people who are frustrated because they can't work effectively, relationships might break down, you might lose data, you might breach uh, regulatory compliance issues. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that can go bad if, if the technology doesn't work. So make sure the technology that you're thinking about using is fit for purpose for what you might try and do. Sorry about that. Must have liked that. That's me not turning off all my devices at once. <laughs> um, okay, so then on to my personal favourite and the one that without fail everyone always answers yes to. Surprise, surprise. Um, but I'm not sure is. And that is, are you sure your leaders and your managers have the skill set to effectively manage in a flexible working environment. Um, and the problem is that this question quite often gets asked in rooms where only leaders and yeah. managers are. I would strongly urge you to talk to the rest of your staff about whether they feel they could be appropriately managed and led through an agile working, whatever the process that you're looking at and whatever the policies you're looking at, because it really matters. Um, I've seen it done badly and it's, uh, it's quite literally a horror show yeah um people feel disengaged they feel unsupported they get very frustrated employee engagement drops through the floor all of these things are an issue um and i think there's some really practical questions um are they going to be good role models do they themselves understand can you trial it with them to see if they can uh effectively manage the processes do they even understand what it is do they understand that it's not just about working you know, one of my favourite things is when they think it just means that they can phone all of their employees up at 10 o'clock at night because yes. they're worried about well, a project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is not agile yeah. working. So it's really important to check their understanding of it. Um, do they have a good ability to manage meetings through the virtual systems? You know, are they IT literate themselves? Because that in itself is sometimes a challenge. Um, and I think one of the things is how are they going to be able to mediate between teams when they're remote? How yeah. are they going to do that? Are they going to do it on a Skype call? Are they actually going to bother to get people together even yeah. though it's remote? Um, I think it's really important. So for me, this is a piece of work that it's not just have they got the skills, but more importantly, what skills are they going to need for your policies and how are you going to make sure they have them? Or how are you going to actually, it, it can't just be a yes, yes, I'm confident, hand yeah. up in the air. Yeah, I'm sure I can it. do this. You've actually it's got a feasibility piece. It's a, proper, it? it's it a proper piece of work. Yeah. Um, so that's that's that one's my real uh, bugbear, I guess. And then I, I'm going to ask you to explain a little bit about the next one because I, I know that it's really important to you as well. Yeah. So uh, next point for me is around your organization's culture and, and whether or not your organization's culture can support flexible and agile working. It's hard. It's hard to really sort of sometimes separate that from leadership, but culture is its own thing. And depending on the ways of working, you know, the way stuff is done around here in your organization, you may or may not be able to effectively implement agile working. So, for example, if your organization is the type of organization that can cope well with change and new things, then you're more likely to be able to move to an agile working approach than if that's not the way your organization works. Um, similarly, if you've got quite an empowered culture where people 
take ownership and have clarity over what they do and are sort of self-directed, then that's a good sign. If conversely, though, people are scared to make decisions, scared to direct themselves to some extent, scared to speak up, and leaders don't let them do that, then it'll be hard for you to successfully adopt an agile working approach. Um, Next point for me under here is around trust, right? Moving to agile working takes a huge amount of trust. Leaders need to trust that employees will do what they're meant to do. Um, and, and employees need to trust each other and their peer group that they'll actually work well. So making sure that you have trust is important. Um, having a culture that means that you can learn from failure and not you know, fall over the first time something doesn't work is really important as well. Because when you're trying to Im- implement something like this, stuff will go wrong quite a bit. And you'll just have to pick yourself up um, and dust yourself off and get on with it and learn from it and do better next time. And if your organization can do that, then you're likely to make this a success. If you can't do that, then it might not really be worth trying because chances are it'll fall over. And then the last point is around sort of a collaborative and supportive nature and and culture of your organization. If you have a type of organization where people will help each other introduce something new, then again, this is more likely to work. If, however, you're more of an individualistic type organization, then potentially this might not work for you, but it might work. Um, But it's just something that you need to think about. So really, for me, that's a few points on culture. And the real call out is that you just need to think about culture, right? I mean, assess your culture and see if you think um, it's robust enough to help you implement flexible or agile. Yeah, and I think think if, you know, you can always tell some stuff by how people respond to the idea. You float the idea and if people absolutely love it, just check it's not because they hate working where they're working because that's never a good reason. But otherwise, you'll get a much better sense. So the fifth one on your lovely list of, uh, of thinking about these things is probably the least sexy it is it's but it's actually you know the the bottom line is it's the most important and you absolutely have to get this done before you start a process Um, and it's do you have the right policies processes procedures in place to allow your team to be successful and to allow the policy to be successful um it's not it's not fun um because everyone wants to think about the flexibility but it's going to be much harder and you're going to need much clearer processes on assessing people's productivity And that's a good thing, by the way. You don't want to be ever accessing productivity by how often people turn up for work. But things like absences, yeah. how are you going to monitor them? Are they going to be self-regulated? How do you build trust? You're going to have to have, you come back to that idea of trust. What yeah. policies are going to be in place to measure that and to understand what that means for people and what you expect what, uh, in terms of people's assignment? How much, so one of the big problems we had, I saw someone implement a process and... Um, implement a flexible working policy but would regularly arrange meetings within three days in in head office sure which is just crazy you you can't can't say to someone you're based in brighton and we don't your normal working place is brighton then give them three days notice yeah so you know what on a very practical level you have to have an agreement you have to have a policy what's what's acceptable uh what's your expenses policy because that trust me is going to go sky high yeah um and all of these things and i think you know one of the ways to do it is a look at all the policies you've got and what needs updating Everyone always forgets that bit. They always write the new policies and forget about the old ones. Yeah. Um, how are you going to discipline? How does that going to change? How are you going to manage disputes? How are you going to be fair? How fairness do you treat... Is so oh, and don't even start me on fairness. But how are you going to treat people in uh, any Hubwell offices versus away? You know, one of the classic ones that I know always happens, right, is that I've worked in an office uh, for a number of years where they give everyone, remote working everyone, yeah. the afternoon of christmas eve off okay right but if you're in head office they always arrange their team days out and lunches on that day sure 
right? So they effectively get two thirds, three quarters of a day yeah, off, so... right? Home workers, because they need that time, they tend to have their Christmas, you know, drinks during a meeting or yeah. in an evening or something um, after a day that they've been at the office. So consequently, they feel like they get left out because yeah, they're course. still sitting there fair, until like two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, everyone yeah, else yeah, yeah, yeah. disappeared off. So think about stuff like that because trust me, it really matters to people. So that kind of sums up uh, the list of five. So just a reminder when you're thinking about it, does it fit with your organisation? Can your organisation actually do it? Do you have the technology or can you get it to make it work? Um, Does your leadership team and your managers have the skills to effectively um, manage your workforce? Will your organisational culture support or will it be able to adapt to flexible working? And, um, And what's the practical policies, processes that you need? Do you have them? What do you need to adapt? Great list, really helpful, and um, we'll make sure to share that on the website. Cool. So quickly, uh, stories from the coalface. Um, I guess we've got a range of things that we could cover here. Um, one thing that I wanted to call out is something that I found contentious in different places and that I've seen cause problems is around compressed hours. Okay. Right? So I think it's just a specific example and maybe something to watch out for. In a lot of it world where I've worked um, well actually I guess we should start by saying what compressed hours are compressed hours are when somebody works maybe uh, 40 hours over the course of a week but instead of working 40 hours over 8 hours a day for 5 days they'll compress that and work that in 4 days um, maybe working from I don't know 8 till 6 or whatever it happens to be over those 4 days now I've seen that cause problems because for that to be effective and, and to be fair in respect to that fairness and equality it needs to happen in a place where other people aren't already working eight till six. So in my industry, I've seen a lot of instances where somebody has compressed hours and that means that they get paid for a full-time job and they work eight till six or similar on Monday to Thursday. However, other people who have a full-time job work eight till six, five days a week. And so they get paid less and you get disgruntlement and disappointment. So I just wanted to chuck that out there as, as you know, a real life story and something to think about. If you're uh, thinking about bringing do you know in. what? It's... Uh, well, it's so common it's untrue in our industry because everyone works um sport where i've worked quite a period of my time doesn't take place monday to friday nine to five mostly takes place in evenings and weekends so um for me one of the challenges is how do you manage toil and days in lieu um when actually it's a part of your job and you you go into the job expecting to work evenings and weekends to a point yeah yeah right so um the best organizations trust that you will make that work yeah however there is a real conflict with public sector organizations who make you count all the hours but also give you all those hours back so what you end up with is two people in very similar jobs one in non-profit uh, charity and one in a, a public sector who have two very different toll, uh, toil, and yeah. loo, toil and loo um, policies and and that creates when they're working in teams together it creates massive friction yeah because they're like hang on i'm working this evening and get time off you're not yeah it's that equality piece but well, so. they don't always and people are never able to see the whole package no matter of what course, they do course. they you're can so never see focused on your own the, um and it's really so it's really important you share it as a package yeah because when you don't when you don't make people understand that flexible working is part of a bigger holistic approach you end up with people picking out the bits that don't work for them and getting angry about it. And that's, yeah. that's so... And that's why everyone runs away from it in the end and yeah. goes back to traditional working because they just... It's, it's so much effort yeah, to make work. people comfortable with it. Yeah. So that's my... Uh, I've seen that and I've seen yeah. a massive row take place with a manager because they were like, literally, look what he gets. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, so, but you have the autonomy to do what you like the rest of the time. And it's yeah. like, that's not the point. Yeah, so... I don't get those three hours off. Transparency... 
And fairness seems like some good messages from the coalface. Yeah. For this week. Okay. Top tip? Closing out? Oh. Okay, this is a really personal one. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think that your personality is such that you really benefit from working with people face-to-face and that it helps you manage, think twice before you join an organisation that heavily promotes flexible working. Yeah. Uh, I know that sounds cautionary, but... Yeah. Um, I'm not saying don't do it, but if that's where you get your steam, it's really hard to fake that in a room. I yeah. mean, I got a dog to try and talk to. Yeah. Uh, and trust me, she doesn't brainstorm that well. Yeah. Well, this week I've actually got exactly the same top tip, you know. I mean, I, I really think we've both got the same word of caution here, which is, from my perspective, I'd say, if you're considering flexible working or agile working, I guess remote working, really, make sure it's right for you. So exactly the same point, because I've seen people who have, um, suffered and declined as a result of moving um, and adopting remote working, working from home. It's it's hard to do. You know, humans are often social beings. And even if you've got a good team remotely, it's not the same as being in the office mm. and being part of all of that. Can I, that can I add yourself. a tip? And yeah, it's not mine. So. It's someone I know who's not here who does work from home. And his advice to me when I started, which I didn't take at first and I now did, is uh, start monitoring your day of how you feel. Yeah. Um, so he really regulates his day. So first two hours of the morning where he's at his tip-top brain-wise is where he reads all the academic papers that he needs sure. to or he writes big, strong, chunky emails and pieces of research. He always, always goes out for lunch. Yep. So he goes. He, he sees that as a cost and he's like, it's in my it's in my plan. Yeah. And he will go out to lunch even if it's on his own. Ideally not. He usually phones me because I live around the corner. Mm-hmm. But... Um, he will go out to lunch every single day, no matter what. Yeah. Um, and he schedules at least one face-to-face Skype call Yeah. Uh, every day. Powerful, powerful stuff. And, I, and those three things, he said, went from being miserable to brilliant in yeah. no time. I was like, oh, I'll nick that. Yeah. So those, that's my uh, top tip courtesy of Ollie Mival. Cool. All right, well, that's the end of another episode and the end of another week. So I guess it's just goodbye from me. Yeah, and it's goodbye from me until next time. Hi. Thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.